We're going to go to the Old Testament today. Um, I'm going to preach in a way that I haven't preached in a while. I want to preach with more of a narrative-based way of doing this. Um, I don't have any points today. I know, surprise. (laughs) But I do have some observations that I want to make. And so we're going to go to the Old Testament today, and I pray that this just speaks to you. I know that uh, if nothing else, this message is for me. You can ignore me if you'd like, but um, this is for my heart today. First Kings chapter 19, verses 1 to 14. And it says this, that Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So this is a battle that took place before this moment. And uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal, uh, they went head to head on some things. And Elijah, through God, ends up winning. And so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them, speaking about the prophets of hers, by this time tomorrow. In other words, she said, I'm gonna kill you, fool. <laughs> then Elijah became afraid. Everybody say, became afraid. You ever been there before? Things are going really well. And then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there. So not only was he afraid, but he was so afraid. And we'll read about what, he, what he's thinking to himself that he leaves his servant. He's like, you need to stay here. I'm going on without you. But he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree, every shot broom tree, and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough. You ever been there? Oh, come on, church. You ever been there? You ever shouted that before? Had enough. Lord, take my life for I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down and he slept under the broom tree. This is a really important part. He was tired. He was exhausted. Suddenly an angel touched him. The angel told him, get up and eat. Then he looked and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones. Come on. Warm carbohydrates. It's a great way to get out of bed. (laughs) And a jug of water. So he ate and he drank and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him. He said, get up and eat or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank. And then he went on the strength from that food. He walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. He entered into a cave there and he spent the night. Suddenly the word of the Lord came to him and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Isn't it weird when God asks questions that he already knows the answers to? But he's trying to get at something. And so he replied, I've been very zealous. Listen to his words. This is Elijah's word. I've been very zealous for the Lord, God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they are looking for me to take my life. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by a great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. Next week, and I wanna encourage you to come back to church because we're gonna continue on in this piece of scripture. I'm gonna do a message next weekend called The Voice in the Wind. So you wanna be here next week. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, Elijah, what are you doing here? 
I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of armies, he replied, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars and killed the prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they're looking for me to take my life. What a story, what a moment. As we continue on with our series, Shadows in the Light, I wanna speak to you from this subject today. If If you're taking notes, write this down at the top of your paper, a cave and a broom tree. A cave and a broom tree as we deal with one of the most significant battles that we will face in life and faith, and that's the battle that takes place within us, within our soul. Father, we thank you for your word. It is good. Speak to us now. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody shouted. Show of hands, have you ever thrown an adult temper tantrum? Come on, this side over here. This is the holy side. Let's talk to this. No one over here. Have you ever thrown an adult temper tantrum? Anybody over here? Okay, cool. Um, most of us have. I, I am, um, if you've been around me long, and my wife would know this about me, I'm a person of extremes, okay? Um, I have a tendency, so my counselor says, <laughs> um, to uh, catastrophize things. Is anybody else there with me? Like one thing happens and you can go down. How many of you can spend at least 30 minutes in your own weird wonderland of things that could potentially happen in the world around you? Yeah. So in these moments, my, my, now my beautiful wife is, she's logical. Um, she has a tendency to talk me off of ledges. And, uh, but I, like, I get, I, like I get revved up really, really fast. There's, there's great pros to my personality. Okay. Like I can get things done. If you get me on something, dog on bone, I'm going to get it done. I'm going to go to the wall with it. It's extreme. And I'm starting to realize that I think it's a genetic thing because it's been passed down to my boy. Okay. <laughs> So everything, everything that my boy does, it's full send, like full send. So I, I was driving literally this morning. I didn't realize what was happening yesterday when I had this conversation with Justice, but I stepped outside and he was over in the corner of our driveway where there's this big old mound of rocks and, and, a, and a stump from a tree that we, we chopped down. And then it goes into the neighbor's yard. And if you stand in the neighbor's driveway yard area, this ledge and these rocks would be about my head height almost, Okay. And so I saw him standing over the other day and he was like doing things. And I said, hey, bud, what, what are you doing? He was like building a ramp. <laughs> and I went, all right, cool. <laughs> like, fair enough. And so I didn't, I didn't put it together. I don't know if he jumped off the ramp, but I drove out of our driveway this morning. I'm going down there and I looked and this kid had put a little board like this propped up against this rock, which elevated his jump even higher. And he was contemplating doing this. He's a person of extremes. Here's what I want all of us to hear today. Every one of us has a cave and a broom tree moment. So the broom tree is the place where our emotions take us. The cave is the place where the truth behind our emotions is dealt with. This is where Elijah found himself. Elijah found himself under a broom tree as he pitched an adult temper tantrum. He went from emotional extreme to emotional extreme. He found himself underneath the broom tree because he was acting and behaving in a way that was incongruent with who he really was. You ever been there before? Come on, have you ever looked in the mirror and you're like, why am I acting this way? It's not who I am. The broom tree in the desert was the place that Elijah would find himself. Not because of what was happening, listen, not because of what was happening around him, but because of what was happening in him. 
Have you ever found yourself in the desert place, not because of what was happening around you? Oh, we blamed it on what was happening around us. But have you ever found yourself in the desert place underneath a broom tree saying to God, I just wanna be done because of what was happening in you? See, this is an interesting moment in the life of Elijah, if you think about it, because his behavior at this moment is completely uncharacteristic of the impassioned prophet who had been witness to the miraculous hand of God over and over and over again. This is the same prophet who would face the prophets of Baal. He would call down fire from heaven. He would make fun of them in the middle of all of it, not fearing for his life at all. Yet Jezebel says, I'm gonna kill you. And he runs. And I've never fully gotten this. I, I've never fully under, so there's smarter people than me who got it really, really quick. It's taken me years to realize what was going on in Elijah. Commenting on these verses, A. Hauser in his book from Carmel to Horeb writes this, in three short verses, the writer has totally changed the flow of the story. Victory, speaking about Elijah's victory, seems to be transformed into defeat. The brave prophet into a cowering refugee and the victory over death and Baal into an opportunity for death to reassert itself through Jezebel's oath to take Elijah's life. The problem though, wasn't that Elijah was afraid of death. He had faced that before. The problem, like many of our problems, was much deeper. Someone shout deeper. deeper. It was soul level deep. Quoting from the preacher's commentary, it says this, the Sepugent adds a phrase to Jezebel's warning. As surely as you are Elijah and I am Jezebel. It is as if though the queen were pitting her name, meaning where is Baal, against the prophet's name, meaning Yahweh is God. In this moment, this commentator is suggesting that Jezebel made it personal. Now, try to, try to work this out with me. Have you ever been in that place before where it's like, it's one thing to have a problem, it's another thing when the problem makes it personal? Yeah. Yeah. Y- y'all get what I'm talking about? See, it's like one thing to be in a place of problems. It's one thing to have my issues. It's one thing, but it's another thing when all of a sudden that problem that I'm having makes it really personal in my life. Jezebel's threat confronted so much more in Elijah than just the breath in his lungs. Are y'all tracking with me, church? Like I said, no points today. You just got to grab out what you can grab out today. I'm, I'm praying that the spirit of God would speak to you. Not just my words, come on, but what he's saying to you in this moment. We know, now, now watch this. We know that this was a soul level deep issue because of the word that is used for life. When the scripture says that Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his, everyone shot life. Now, this is what's really important about digging into translations a little bit more because there's a specific Hebrew word that's used here. And this is how I know what was going on in Elijah, that it was deeper than him being afraid for his life because it's a very familiar word, one that we dealt with at the beginning of this series. The word that is used is the word nephesh. It's the Hebrew word in the Old Testament for speaking about the soul. This is how it should be translated. Elijah ran from Jezebel for his soul. He was soul level deep scared. 
It wasn't just because he was going to potentially die. He had faced that before. Jezebel's words poked deeper. Have you ever been there before? Come on, has anybody's comment on Facebook ever gotten deeper in you? Come on, did did your boss's critique in that yearly review, it went deeper than just a critique of your performance. You ever been there before? Come on, did the teacher's word ever rattle you? And you're like, why am I so rattled right now? She just said I was bad at math. True statement. <laughs> I talked about this before, but I had a, one of the dean of students in the college that I went to um, had a conversation with me and once told me when he asked me, this is how the, the series of questions went. He said, Jason, what do you want to do when you grow up? <laughs> Mind you, I'm in college. Um, and I said, I want, to, I want to plant and pastor a church. And he looked at me and he smiled and he said, oh, I just don't think you're smart enough to do that. Now, still to this day, I don't know if it was meant to like spur something on in me, which it did. But it also did something else to me. I carried it into the desert underneath a broom tree. It made me retreat in a way that I wouldn't otherwise retreat. Why? Because it wasn't just words that I let kind of bounce off of my shoulder. They went deeper. They went into the nafesh. They got into my soul. And so I ran at different times from the, God, the calling that God had on me to a broom tree in the desert saying, God, when is it going to be enough? Take it now. Anybody ever been there before? We all have our broom trees in our caves. So we know that Elijah was not just running for his life for the sake of staying alive. Elijah was running because something was going on deep within his soul. There was something that the threat that Jezebel had made, it triggered something profoundly deep within him. Have you ever been there before? Triggered? How many of you hate that word like I do right now, right? One of you, okay. (laughs) Triggered. I almost called this message today triggered just to like get after it. We're, we're, we're triggered by things. Why, why do we get more mad than we're supposed to? Can we talk real in church today? Right? Like, like why do we blow up when someone, some child spills the milk? Why do you, why do you get so frustrated when you stub your toe? You ever been there before? It's amazing the words that are produced when you stub your toe. I've always asked myself, like, where did that come from? It's just a toe. Why do we react in the way that we do when someone's passive aggressive with us? Why, 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 do we, why do we think the world is against us when they've sold out of our favorite bread? Jezebel made things personal. Am I up in anybody's business already? (laughs) And the minute she did it, spun Elijah out. You see, it's easy when heat is directed at God or at others, but it's a whole different reality when the heat is directed at us. Whether it be in a relationship, at work, or even in the church, one of the greatest moments of inner turmoil that we face in life is when the opinion or the slight or the accusation or the frustration of someone else is pointed directly at us. It would be further into the narrative that we would really see what was lurking in the soul of Elijah. 
while verses four to five provide us with the emotional assessment with where Elijah was at. So let's look at it, 19 verses four to five. He sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. And he said, I had enough. Lord, take my life for I'm no better than my ancestors. You ever been there before? God, I, 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 me, me, me. Come on, anybody ever prayed those prayers before? It's interesting how many times we talk more about ourselves to God than we talk to God about God. We do it in worship, don't we? Many of us in this moment, we, weren't, we were worshiping in such a way, God, see me, hear me, give to me, do unto me. Instead of God, you're good. God, you're glorious. My situation sucks right now, but you are awesome. That's worship. And this is where Elijah was at. So we could see he was really emotional. He was throwing an adult temper tantrum. Me. How could you, God? Think about how this would have went. God, how could you rain fire down from heaven and burn everything up and destroy all the prophets and, 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 and do exactly what you are capable of doing? How could you do that and then let Jezebel Isn't it amazing how fast we get mad at God because he didn't do the miracle exactly the way that we wanted it done? So it gets personal. He's throwing a temper tantrum, but that's not what's really going on. Verses eight to 10 provide what we need to hear. So he got up, he ate and he drank. Then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to horror of the mountain of God. As an aside, before, before we continue to move forward, I love what the late Timothy Keller says about the moment, this moment between God and Elijah. He says, the broom tree under which Elijah found rest serves as a powerful symbol of God's provision in the midst of desolation. In the shade of that humble tree, Elijah experienced both physical relief and spiritual solace, reminding us that even in our darkest moments, God's grace sustains and uplifts us. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9 to 10 says, He entered then after leaving the broom tree. Have you shot broom tree? He leaves the broom tree and entered a cave there and he spent the night. Suddenly the word of the Lord came to him and he said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been. Here it is. This is, this is the truth behind the emotions. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies. Let's put it in our, our modern day vernacular. I have read my Bible every day this year in the Bible study that Pastor Howie's leading. <laughs> I have been to church every weekend this year. I serve in the kids' ministry. And there's a crown reserved for that ministry. <laughs> I have given. Y'all see what I'm talking about? He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites, those people over there, they've abandoned you. They've torn down your altars. They killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they're looking for me to take my life. What's really behind Elijah's adult temper tantrum is the fact that he believes he's entitled to something. 
He believes that he shouldn't experience any type of pushback, any type of suffering, any type of frustration, anything that looks different than the way that he wants it because he deserves something. Isn't that like the generation we're living in right now? We get mad at God because we have a bad day and we're frustrated. We find ourselves underneath a broom tree and in a cave because God didn't do it the way that I wanted it. God didn't give me what I thought I was deserving. God, how could I get that report from the doctor? I have been serving you all my life. And it goes soul level in us. It gets subterranean. And so God asks Elijah, where are you? What are you you doing here? And this is probably one of the most forward-facing questions we can ask concerning the dialogue between Elijah and God. Why did he really flee? I wanna get up in your face today. Everybody look at me when I ask you this. Why are you fleeing from God? Why are you running? What is it that you didn't get that's making you run to your broom tree and cave? What is it that you feel entitled to that's pushing you away from the one who actually meets you at the cave and the broom tree? Now, here's where it gets really amazing. Most scholars agree that the cave that Elijah found himself in was the same cave that another conflicted prophet and leader would find himself in Moses, the nomadic leader of the children of Israel, the one who would lead his people out of captivity into the wilderness and to the promised land that God had sworn to them. Both these men would face the inner turmoil accompanying the journey of life and faith on a mountain. They would find themselves desperate for an encounter and word from God, and their language would be almost identical speaking to the condition of their soul as they lamented before God. Numbers chapter 11, verses 10 to 15. So we're gonna jump out of, jump out of Kings really quick. And I want us to, want us to watch this moment with, with Moses. Listen to what it says. Moses heard the people, family after family, weeping at the entrance of their tents. And the Lord was very angry. And Moses was also provoked. So Moses asked the Lord, why, (laughs) I love this. Why have you brought such trouble on your servant? He's speaking about the people that he's leading. Why are you angry with me? And why do you burden me with, (laughs) why do you burden me with all of these people? (laughs) I love it. Lest we think that these prophets and these leaders were perfect. Moses is in a tent going, God, why them? (laughs) Did I conceive all these people? (laughs) I love it. Did I give birth to them? And that's what he says. Did I give birth to them? So you should tell me, carry them at your breast as a nursing mother carries a baby. Here, I mean, this is dripping with sarcasm right now. Where can I get meat? to give all to these people. For they're weeping to me. Give us meat to eat. <laughs> I can't carry all these people by myself. They're too much for me. Listen, listen to this. If you're gonna treat me like this, please kill me right now. 
And this is what he adds to it. This is, this is what his request to kill me right now. If I've found favor with you. <laughs> this is saying, like, if you're good, God, take my life right now. And don't let me see my misery anymore. We sometimes we just need to pause and, re- and like read the words slowly. This is what I said. We, we're not here for fast food today. We're, he- we're here for a meal. Yeah, that's good. That's good. See, at first glance, it'd be easy to think that Moses' was, issue was outside of him. But like, like Elijah, Moses' issue was deeper. Sure, the outside issues could be alleviated and, and they would be as God would direct Moses to institute a leadership structure that would help him deal with the vast amount of people he was leading. But we know that this wouldn't solve the issues that were deep within Moses as they were within Elijah. We're told that, that the Lord was very angry and Moses was provoked. If you've read scripture long enough, you know that Moses had an anger issue. He had some stuff every single time, every corner that he would turn. If there was something he didn't like, he'd hit You ever been there before? Maybe you're not an explosive personality, okay? So I wanna qualify this because I wanna make sure that I get up into everybody's business. Some people, like some of us right now could be like, I'm not an angry person. And I'd be like, have you looked at your eyes? (laughs) You're like, I don't, I don't yell. I don't, nothing, I'm calm and quiet. I'm like, yeah, but if I were to talk to you and you were angry and you're calm and quiet, my skin would melt off my body. (laughs) You're vicious. So Moses had an ongoing issue. It was deeper. I find it fascinating that Elijah would find himself in the very same cave that a Moses would find himself in because all of us have a cave and a broom tree. Like Moses, Elijah's inner despondency blinded him from the power and the miraculous works of God in his life. You see, when our soul is in turmoil, it stops us from seeing what God has actually done in our lives. How many of you agree with me when we throw our adult temper tantrums, we, we often lose sight of what God is actually doing around us, what he's done in us, what he's done around us. That's when I, when I go to catastrophe mode sometimes, I, I often forget what God has done in my life over the past 10 years leading this and, and the past 20 years of walking out a journey with him and the past 25 and 30 years of, of giving my life to him originally. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? Sometimes when we get soul level deep fights going on inside of us, we forget how good God is. We all have a broom in a, in a cave. We all have a broom tree in a cave. Instead of being truthful with God, Elijah takes the path of blame shifting. Oh, come on, somebody. Instead of being truthful about his fear and what was going on inside of him, he reminded God of all that Elijah had done himself. Did you see what I've done? And his tone indicates a bit of entitlement, as if he shouldn't face what he's facing. Isn't it like us to do that, to use the things that we've accomplished in the strength of the Lord to lord them over him? like an unappreciative child void of recognition regarding where provision, wisdom, strength, and power actually come from? Yeah. Come on, have you, have you ever been in the place where you actually believe that you are your power source? Yeah. You see, because of whatever was happening in Elijah's soul, he was either unable or unwilling to face the truth of the situation. And the truth of the situation was that he was afraid. He was afraid. 
Someone shout fear. But why this time? Why not other times? We don't really know, except that this time, at the words of Jezebel, he was profoundly impacted. And because of what was happening in his soul, all he knew how to do was run to the broom tree and the cave. And instead of confronting the fear and what was happening inside of him, Elijah and Moses do what most of us do, make an enemy out of anyone and anything that we can. Oh, hear hear this, because here's the thing. We tend to create external enemies when we are afraid to confront internal insecurities. But God, what about this person? And he moves the light back on you. (laughs) But but what about this situation? He's like, back to you. How many of you know that when, when God keeps shifting the light back to you, it's when we have the decision to make, am I gonna run to the broom tree in the cave? One author put it another way in the preacher's commentary series. He said, despondency has a way of selectively focusing on certain facts from life and conveniently overlooking others. Now, I wanna say this to some of us in here today. Is this all right with everybody? Can we preach this way today? Uh, Fear is a legitimate emotion. One that often accompanies many moments in our lives. I think a healthy healthy dose of fear is needed in our life. Right? Like we've we've talked about this before. Like the people that scare me the most, that concern me the most are the people that are fearless. Right? Because you're gonna hurt yourself. Right? Like when you go, like if you've ever, anybody, show of hands, how many of you have been to the, the Grand Canyon before? Grand Canyon before? Okay, cool. We talked about this at our, at our, uh, our men's conference back in October. Um, how many of you feel that it's an appropriate thing to have fear when you stroll up to the ledge of the Grand Canyon? Right? Uh, I thank God for fear in that moment because there's other people that seem to not have fear and their children don't have fear. And I'm like, sir, you're letting your four-year-old stroll up to the edge of this cliff. And I'm like, I'm gonna grab your child for you. So I think there's, there's healthy doses of fear. There's, it's, a, it's a legitimate emotion. And I wanna, I wanna make sure that I acknowledge that today because some of us, what we've done is we've walked into different traditions and different backdrops of faith. And we've been told that there's no other emotion that we're allowed to have except I got faith today. Right? I'm blessed and highly favored. The joy of the Lord is my strength. But the joy of the Lord doesn't give me gravity. Right? So you better have that joy on the way off the canyon. <laughs> so we've, we've got to legitimize certain, uh, certain emotions. It's there. But what the emotion should do, the emotion in, in you should be an alarm that there's potentially something a lot deeper going on inside of you. Something's going on, something's going on. And you pause and you reflect. So now what I'm learning is when my mind starts to catastrophize things and I start to spin out of control, Erica's rolling her eyes, like I've got to stop and go, wait a second, maybe she sees something that I'm not seeing and maybe God knows something that I don't know and maybe I should stop running around like Chicken Little thinking the sky's going to fall. Come on, someone shout fear. So, So Elijah has a legitimate emotion, but he doesn't deal with it legitimately. 
See, when we become unwilling to be truthful and honest with ourselves and with God concerning what's really inside of us, we begin to blame shift and make everyone and everything the great evil and enemy of our life. We end up demonizing and rejecting the ones we love and that love us. We end up running from our responsibility to the things that God has for us. We look for easy outs, back doors, and passive places. We look for the cave and the broom tree. Is this helping anybody today? See, the amazing thing about Moses and Elijah is that they ask God for the opposite. Listen to this. Think, like, this is what's fun about preaching narratively at times is we just get to kind of explore what's going on. And I would, I would say this as always, go back, research this stuff. Look at, don't take my word for it, but this is what I'm seeing in this particular piece of scripture. Is they ask God for the opposite of what they were trying to accomplish with their irrational behavior. That's what I mean that. For Elijah, he was running, listen to this. He was running to escape the threat of death from Jezebel only to turn around and ask God to take his life. Can we just stop and like think, like how many times have you talked out both sides of your mouth before? You're like, that makes no sense. That's what Elijah was doing. He's running for his life only to say, God, take my life. Well, then why'd you run out of the desert? You should have just stayed home. It would have been more comfortable. Now, Elijah's request may be emphatic and, and a bit dramatic, but the point still remains. That which was inside of him, not outside of him, was the source of his problems. I believe that the cave, the cave and the broom tree represent the same places that we find ourselves in life and faith. Inflection points, moments of transition, places where we must be brave enough to face what's really going on inside of us. The soul level stuff that's that has greater impact in our lives. God invites Elijah to leave the broom tree and come out of the cave. I want you to notice that. God's invitation is both leave the broom, I, I'm gonna feed you, I'm gonna give you everything that you need, then you need to do 40 days, 40 nights, you're gonna walk to the cave and then he's gonna hide in the cave and he's gonna say, Elijah, I want you to come out of the cave. We're gonna pick up on that next week when we deal with how God spoke to Elijah's soul. See, there will always be a moment when we are invited by God to leave the broom tree and exit the cave. And that's for some of us today, right now in this moment. God is inviting each and every single one of us to pick up what we need to pick up from the broom tree, leave the cave that we're in, no matter where you find yourself today, he's inviting you to find him. I'm gonna invite the team up. The answer for Elijah was not found at sitting at the broom tree and continuing to complain about his external situation, but it was also not to stay in the cave and continue to blame shift for the disparity that existed within his soul. Elijah had to change, someone shout change. change. So God would call Elijah out of the cave to the side of the mountain, and it would be there that he would experience the power, the presence, and the glory of God, just like Moses had as well. And just like he would do with Moses, God would provide for Elijah some very practical handles in facing and dealing with what was inside of him. Now, I want you to hear this. God wouldn't take away Jezebel's murderous threats. Let me say it over here. Let's see if this side can get it. God wouldn't take away Jezebel's murderous threats. But isn't that our prayer most times? God, take this away. 
The problem is, is that the issue is internal. So God removing the external doesn't do anything for you. All it does is put a Band-Aid on it because it'll be another external situation that all of a sudden ramps you up. So God doesn't remove the external situation. God says, let me go subterranean with you. And so standing on the side of the mountain, again, we're gonna deal with the voice part. So I'm just kind of coming around to another side of it next week. But this is how God affirms Elijah in this moment. Watch what happens. Here's the first one. And this should be on the screen. If you wanna write these down, you can study them out and look at them. God would tell Elijah that he needed to face his fear. First Kings chapter 19, verse 15. This is what you don't wanna hear from God. God says to Elijah, go and return by the way that you came to the wilderness of Damascus. Go the way that you came. How many of you would object in this moment? You're like, God, did you see the way that I came? Jezebel's back there. The wilderness is back there. He's back there. She's back there. That death is back there. That loss is back there. That betrayal is back there. That addiction's back there. God says to Elijah, you need to face this thing. You need to go back where you came from. He's not gonna have him camp out there, but he says, you need to go back the way that you came. Jesus. We've been trying to have kids and back there, unsuccessful moment, unsuccessful moment, unsuccessful moment. You need to face it. I lost everything back there. Don't ignore it, face it. And the reason that many of us don't experience victory is that we're too afraid to face the wilderness of our souls. We don't wanna look at it. Here's the second thing that God would instruct Elijah with. God would instruct Elijah. He would affirm him, he would encourage him. God would instruct Elijah with renewed purpose. Come on, somebody. Renewed purpose. When you arrive, so God's assuming that Elijah's gonna do what he says, what he tells him to do. When you arrive, you are to anoint Hazael as king over Aram. You are to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Maloya, Abel Maloya, as prophet in your place. So in this moment where Elijah is saying, hey, take my life, God. God says, no, 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 I'm not through with you yet. I need you to go back the way that you came. And as you go back the way that you came, I want you to know that I've actually got purpose for you. I need you to anoint some guys. I need you to get some people ready because I am not done yet with your life. And some of you are sitting, some of you have contemplated today 
Statistically speaking, our church is large enough to know this, that in every single one of these services today, there is someone in this room that has contemplated and said the same thing that Elijah did. God, take my life today or I'm gonna do it for you. Yeah. And if there's nobody else that hears this today, God is not done with you yet. Oh, he's getting intense right now. Yeah, because if you're that one person, I need you to hear these words today. I need you to hear that. Yes, you may have to face some things. And yes, you may have to go through some things. But God has a plan and has a purpose, has a reason, has a rhyme for your life. Do not give up. Third thing God would do is remind Elijah that God's in control. 1 Kings 19, 17, listen to this. Then Jehu will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Jehu. In other words, God's saying, no matter what happens, no matter how things are thwarted, I want you to always remember I am in control. I'm the one who's navigating and negotiating these things. And so Elijah could go back in confidence. Can I tell you, you can go back to your home today in confidence. You can go back to your job this week in confidence. You can wander this world that you're wandering right now and navigate the issues that we're navigating. You can do it in confidence because no matter what happens, can I tell you that God is sovereign? Come on somebody, and he is in control. The question is, four of us believe that. The question is, is whether you believe that or not. This is the question you have to ask yourself. Do I believe that God's in control or I'm in control? And number four, the fourth thing is this. God would show Elijah that he was not alone. First Kings 19, 18. I love this. Remember when Elijah said, they're all dead. No one's here. There's not a person left that loves you, God. Come on, singles, you ever said that before? <laughs> There's not a guy or a girl that loves you, Lord. It's just me, I'm by myself. Come on, moms. There's nobody else who's dealing with this like I am. Isn't it interesting that we have a tendency to isolate ourselves and our problems? Instead of realizing that there's, there's more out there, there's more going on. So God would show Elijah that he was not alone. And this is what he says. Elijah thinks everyone's gone. And God says, but I will leave 7,000 in Israel every knee that has not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. In other words, God says, oh, Elijah, I got people for you. You may not know why you stepped into church today. Maybe you just thought it was a good idea today. Somebody tricked you, said there was a buffet. And I would tell you that maybe for some of you in this room today, you walked into this place for God to remind you, you are not alone. There are hundreds and thousands of people here that'll stand with you, contend with you, fight with you. Let's say, man, and I'll say it to you right now. I know my broom tree. I've been there before. Come on, anybody else? 
Anybody else experience the broom tree moment? Come on, show hands. Can we just take them off? Like how many, how many of you are sitting in a broom, underneath a broom tree right now? And I've been in my caves. But today, I wanna just declare over our lives that God is saying, come out. Leave the tree and come out of the cave because I have something so much more greater for you. In Jesus' mighty name, come on and everybody shouted. Amen. Amen. I ask everybody just to bow your head and close your eyes in this moment. I wanna ask you a question. Here's the question. Do you and have you said yes to Jesus? Because ultimately that's what this is about. It's one thing to do life on our own. This was, this was Elijah. He had a relationship with God, the Lord of the universe. And he was dealing with these things. How much greater is the issues that we deal with when we're dealing with them outside of a relationship with Jesus? And so today I wanna give you an opportunity to say yes to him. So with every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around right now, we're gonna pray a prayer together. There's nothing fancy in these words, but rather the heart from which these words come. And if you'd say today, man, Jason, that's me. I need to say yes to Jesus. I can't do life on my own anymore. Make this your prayer today. I'm asking everybody just repeat these words after me so we don't leave anybody out and by themselves. Come on, as loud as you can, repeat this after me. Everybody say, Jesus, I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my past. I'm giving you my right now. And I'm putting my future in your hands. Save me, change me, and make me new. And I declare in this moment that I'm gonna follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for saving me that I get to be in eternity with you in Jesus' mighty name.